What's up, everybody? Wednesday night. That is OBI night, I guess. Uh, if you want to, yeah, OBI night. That's fine. We'll designate. No guessing it about own. it. It is I OBI know. night. <laughs> oh boy, what a week already! And it's barely halfway through. Is it halfway through yet? I don't know. Depending on how you're looking at it. But the good news is there is a holiday weekend ahead, and there is a lot of things going on with the Cincinnati Bengals and around the NFL, really, because of final cuts. The Bengals, in a matter of 24 hours since announcing some final cuts and finalizing the roster, have done a lot of different things, and we're going to talk about that. I'm Anthony Cazenza, joined, as always, by my partner in crime, John Sheeran. Busy week, man, but things are shaping up pretty nicely for our Bengals. It is a busy week. It's always a busy week seeing everything kind of get leaked before the Tuesday at 4 p.m. deadline. And then it's like, okay, when is the team actually going to release this thing so we can just get on with it? And they waited up until I think the four, like 401, so like a minute after the deadline. And then, hey, you got the practice squad forming. So a lot of guys who are receiving some good news, some bad news. But, you know, as we are pretty experienced with this kind of situation. Everything's fluid. Everything is changing. We claim it to be the final 53, but it's anything but the final 53. I think we should just start a movement to call it the initial 53. You know, like the first, <laughs> the first of many, you know, to kind of get away from the final stigma. 1.0. For, for, some, for some players, unfortunately, it, it is like the final stop, I guess, of their careers and their journeys. And it's something we don't really talk about, but for many others, it's just... It's the beginning of, you know, they're on this team and they're on this team. But yeah, we got a lot of players to talk about tonight. Got a lot of players to talk about. It's Jay Tufele season. It's Jay Tufele season. You're Trojan, man. Congrats. <laughs> hey, uh, you know that's that's a good move. We'll talk about that. Uh, interesting move and some other interesting moves that they made even after this roster was announced. We we took the air yesterday, and we won't belabor uh, this, but just in case you missed that episode, and why would you have missed it? But in case you did. We will share with you a little bit, uh, just a, a recap of what's going on with the 53-man roster. There was a lot to follow up with, and this is as of, this was yesterday, John. Uh, man, I'm having trouble finding this article. But um, essentially, the Bengals had a couple surprises here, and I, I guess in the of the initial wave of cuts that we heard about, would you agree that maybe Tyler Shelvin was the biggest was the biggest surprise there? I guess you could argue Lassiter and Pryor as well, but Shelvin, based on draft position and maybe what we thought he could be, was maybe the first initial surprise? I don't know. I feel like there wasn't a ton of people kind of proclaiming or projecting Shelvin was going to make the team at all just because of how his preseason was going, the fact that it never really seemed like he was surging up the depth chart by any means kind of did seem like he was that fifth defensive tackle on a team that at the time was only comfortable with four. So because of draft status, of course, like it's, it's notable. He's not, he's not the first 2021 uh, draft pick to get released by his, his uh, original drafted team around the league. So he was definitely, I guess like the most high profile player to not make the final cuts. I think at punter, everyone or most people had drew Chrisman, as the guy to make it over Kevin Huber, and we tur- and we learned that they're going with the 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 devil you know instead of the devil you don't, I guess. But you know, in a more positive way, everyone loves Kevin Huber. Mm-hmm. Everyone loves Drew Christmas. Too, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think I think that was a little bit surprising, but hearing the rationale that Darren Simmons provided, it makes sense as to why they went that route. It's it wasn't too surprising either to see both 
Kwame Lasseter and Kendrick Pryor not make it through cuts. It did seem like uh, those, well, we, well, we thought at the time six, but now it's five at the moment receivers were always going to be safe and we'll have more on, on the receiver that did not make it through the initial cut wave. So yeah, I, I guess Shelvin being like having that draft status, it made it a little bit notable, but um, it, it didn't seem like he had a lot of momentum making the roster this year. And I'm, I'm reluctant to, share this article because some of it has already changed and one of which is at the quarterback position we'll get there went a little heavy at running back uh you mentioned the five wide receivers again that that has kind of tweaked and changed uh a little bit as we've moved on here into wednesday this the tight end spot is not indicative of a pickup they made there um offensive line obviously there's another pickup there i guess that's probably where where we should go next instead of sharing this one a little um, a little outdated, but I mean, I, I guess the initial, the initial shock with me was, was maybe one of those wide receivers, but also um, the, the, the fact that Shelvin to me, I don't know, I guess I just had a soft spot for him. I thought he was a guy that was going to do something and this was maybe the year to do it, especially with, I know he doesn't play the same type of position as him, but with a Larry Ogunjobi out of the door there, just maybe a little extra room on the defensive line, interior defensive line for him maybe. Never came to fruition there. But here are some of the recent acquisitions with the Bengals across the waiver wire here. And they made some moves, and we'll get to one that they are still potentially working on in just a second here. But the Bengals land Devin Asiasi out of UCLA, a tight end who has been with the Patriots. Max Sharping, a very interesting offensive lineman who had been with the Texans. And then Jay Tufele, uh, who we actually profiled on this show over a year ago, um, was a mid-round pick by the Jacksonville Jaguars and um, did not did not make it through the final cuts this year. And so Tufele now claimed on waivers uh, from the Bengals there. Kendrick Pryor does go to Jacksonville, though, so there are some, some swap outs there. But your impressions of all this stuff, John? First impression was, thankfully, the Bengals picked up guys that I knew, so I didn't have to research that much it wasn't like a there you go. random Nick McLeod or um uh, a Shane or Wyatt Ray who they picked up last year so it's nice when you have guys that were kind of common names throughout their respective draft cycles he went all the way back to 2019 with Max Sharping Sharping and when he was waived yesterday that was one of the guys that I thought to myself yeah they should definitely put in a claim from him it, it was just a situation I think for him where didn't necessarily go to the best place to develop and he needed development time coming out of northern illinois but i remember leading up to the 2019 senior bowl and he was on the roster and i figured i better do some some research and some film study mm-hmm. on some of these guys before t- checking them out and he was the guy that stood out the most to me out of the guys that i watched before those I practices he didn't really like blow away anyone in the practices he just kind of had an up and down week but he seemed like a guy uh, granted against weaker competition that just had a knack and for knowing what to do and just being aware and just the, the, the game, the, the game itself, it, it, like he seemed comfortable at, at the position at left tackle at the time. Like it, it wasn't too fast. wasn't too physical. He just had a knack of knowing what to do. It just felt like the, the guy was well put together, I guess. And I think he was entering the NFL in a good like uh, mindset, I guess, if you will. I don't know. It just kind of stood out in film that like, yeah, this guy gets it, I guess. And he went to the Texans. They played him 
multiple spots on the offensive line, mostly left guard, but he played at like the right side of the line this past year and he, he wasn't did. as good. And maybe that was part of the reason why they didn't want him around anymore. That he was just kind of the odd man out and coming off of a of an off year, I guess. But I think the potential is still there. He's three years into the league now, so there's development there already with him. Maybe he's at a point where he's just now reaching the, the peak of his ability, the peak of his potential. And anything, I think it's most importantly than anything, I think he's one of the guys now, or maybe the only guy that they can, with somewhat confidence, bring off the bench and just be competent, like be an okay reserve. And they don't really have that. And any of the guys that they have behind their five starters right now, I don't know if he's good enough to compete with Cordell Volson, like right out of the gate. Maybe that competition maybe is formed later down the road, whether it be this season or, or in the next off season, but just a guy who at both guard spots and maybe one of the tackle spots, you can just come in for a pinch in case of injury and just be okay. And they definitely need that. They definitely need that. Sharping. Uh, I remember you talking about him quite a bit and, and some others. And I remember kind of looking at him uh, during that draft process and I guess a word when you looked at him being a smaller school guy and, go, and going to the Senior Bowl, a word that sticks out in terms of his performance there and him becoming a pro was he he belonged, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of that's kind of what the impressions were, and I, I mean that not just like oh he's whatever he belonged, but it's like a, more of a compliment. Like he he looked like a guy who belonged in the NFL, who belonged on an offensive line and deserved starts, and with that. He has 48 games total under his belt that he is suited up for. Um, one missed game in 2020, but other than that, he has been available for all of them and started 33. So, and, and as you mentioned, it's been on the left side and the right side. So he brings value. And to me, John, we'll talk about the other guys, what this may mean for others on the roster, what it means for the Bengals. But for me, this points to not only a discomfort, with the left guard situation potentially, but also a maybe potentially short leash for the other two guys that have been there, right? Cordell Volson, I think they like him. They like what they've seen in the preseason. Zach Taylor on Wednesday called him the starter at left guard, but I, I don't know how sure of a thing. I, I, I think we've liked what we've seen from him for the most part, but we have not liked what we've seen so much from Jackson Carmen, his presumed backup. And now you bring in a guy sharping, and this is a guy, like you said, could be adequate, could be a nice villain guy if there is an injury, God forbid. And and this is the route they decided to go instead of potentially a Quentin Spain or someone of the like. They decided to go here, and this is where they wanted to go. This seems like a guy that, that could be a good roster addition, even as a swing backup guy. And I like how you brought up Spain here because he was obviously – a, a fan favorite to be brought back into the equation because people know who he is. He's, you know, a, a known quantity, I guess, especially within the system. But I think you can kind of translate what happened here with Sharping and Spain to just the Bengals overall, just approach and for agency. They definitely prioritize guys who are still in the prime of their careers. The guys who are more on the upswing. And I think when you're comparing Sharping and Spain, the difference is, very negligible. In fact, I, th I think you might just give the edge to Sharping just because of how Spain's previous season ended. Now, I know that he was dealing with injuries and whatnot, but again, you're talking about a guy who was more on the on the downswing and a guy in Sharping who, from everything I've heard, like it, it wasn't the, the fact that he was having a bad offseason or a bad training camp. He was just kind of like the last guy out of the equation, which 
it's kind of weird because you would think the Texans would need as many as many quantity quality players as possible. But yeah, and, and new coach too, right? I mean, right, sometimes that, that, that just plays true. into it. Yeah. So again, former second round pick, like you said, it just looked like he belonged. And I was kind of tripping over my words, but that was kind of where I was what I was alluding to, alluding to. Like this guy looks like he can play. We'll see how he does against better competition and whatnot. And I think he's been okay as a second round pick. He hasn't been like a high quality starter by any means, but mm-hmm. again, that's why he's he was on the waiver wire. So I guess we'll we'll see how Volson's first few weeks or so as a starter play out. I don't think they're they're trying to bring in Sharping to, to push him or to compete with him as a starter. They're rolling with him. They didn't even know that Sharping was going to be on the team last their last night when they made this claim. So they were rolling with Volson anyways. But now the situation becomes a little bit more interesting in case maybe Volson struggles out of the gate. This high pick fizzle out thing is a little bit of a theme with these waiver wire pickups. You look at Devin Asiasi, I believe he was a third round pick of New England mm-hmm. out of UCLA and a guy that he's one of those, he's a little smaller, he's 6'3", about, he's still got some good size, 250, 260, um, but he has, uh, he was a high, uh, pretty high pick. The problem is he just hasn't been healthy and he hasn't had the numbers to prove it. And obviously New England being in a little bit of transition over the past couple of years with the Tom Brady situation but only 10 games over the last two years since being drafted john three of them started all in 2020 two catches 39 yards and a touchdown to his name in two seasons so again this isn't a guy that's going to come in and and vie for the starting spot hurst has that spot locked down they have a role in mind with drew sample they want someone who can block a bit they want someone who can be an ancillary weapon here and there in the passing game and they want additional depth with the injuries, Sample was back at practice on Wednesday, but he had an injury. Wilcox had an injury. They only kept three. Thad Moss didn't show him enough. Um, and, and so they have gone different routes. They went Devin Asiasi at tight end. Uh, we'll talk more about the other tight end in just a second. Uh, I mean, I guess we could bring him up too. Another high pick, first-round pick, O.J. Howard, tight end, uh, formerly of Buffalo, uh, just released there, and then obviously was with Tampa Bay. Another guy that would – seemingly be in a good 2A, 2B at the tight end spot as well. He has blocking prowess. So that's what the, this role is going to be. So I, at first blush, when you look at Devin Asiasi's numbers, you go two catches. I mean, good Lord, you know, but you have to figure injury issues, team in flux. And you have to also, if, if you're the Cincinnati Bengals, you have to envision, you have to be on that side of the table and envision the role that they likely have in mind for a guy like him or even an OJ Howard. Yeah, I was intrigued with Asiasi just because, like you said, there, there hasn't, there's been basically no uh, professional production, but you don't, you don't get drafted in the first three rounds of tight end without doing something in college. And in his last year at UCLA, he was 40 yards behind Kyle Phillips as the second leading receiver of the 2019 UCLA offense at 641 yards. Like that's not nothing for a, mm-hmm. a collegiate tight end. It was his first year of actual production. He started out at Michigan in 2016. He transferred, didn't really do much of anything uh, two years later at UCLA. So his final year at UCLA, he finally popped off and produced like a quality tight end, which got him drafted in the third round. But you got to think here, if he's supposedly playing in for Mitchell Wilcox, who's expected to go to IR, 
Wilcox's role is a special teamer or a third tight end who blocks in some of those heavy packages. So that's more or less the expectation for a guy who, again, hasn't caught the ball very much in his professional career. So there's no real expectation for him to be a receiving weapon, and maybe they can get more out of him that the Patriots couldn't. But just you have to look at who he's replacing and which role he's filling, and those are the expectations for him. The Howard thing is interesting, getting a lot of questions. Are they going to sign Howard? Are they going to sign Howard? Here's what we know. Here's the latest. And uh, again, it may be a little bit of a numbers game, a little bit of an interesting situation played out later in the day with, with a certain position group, not the tight end group. We'll talk about this in a minute too, but here's what we know. The Bengals were heavily interested in OJ Howard. Once he was released, they put a waiver claim into Aussie Aussie as well. Aussie Aussie was granted to the Bengals. So he is, he is on their team. They were visiting with OJ Howard on Wednesday and that visit was still going on apparently per Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network that visit was still going on even after the the Bengals were awarded Aussie Aussie off waivers and it sounded like Zach Taylor subsequently said we don't anticipate any more signings today but after that quote Rappaport followed that up by saying he's still there visiting with the team so now it kind of becomes a numbers game John and then who you know do you keep four there and if so, does that mean Wilcox is out the door? If you keep an OJ Howard, Aussie, Aussie, Drew Sample, Hayden Hurst, is that what you do with the tight end group? And then maybe you continue to go light at wide receiver. As of now, um, I, I, I would. It sounds like the Bengals are still interested in OJ Howard, but this Aussie, Aussie waiver claim that they were awarded kind of throws a wrench in those plans. I would think. What, what do you think the chances are that they sign OJ Howard? Yeah, a couple things here because again. You put in the waiver claim on Tuesday, not knowing that OJ Howard um, it was going to be cut, or maybe you're doing that. You find that out simultaneously as you're making the claim for Asiasi. But again, you're 31st in the order. You have no idea if you're going to be if you're going to be awarded him. You're right. awarded him um, at noon the next day, but you already scheduled the visit and the physical with OJ Howard. So that's the first thing because you you don't know if Asiasi is going to be on the team the day that you are visiting with Howard but again Asiasi was just waived by the, the Patriots so he wasn't in tremendously high demand if he made it all the way to the 31st in the waiver order there's a scenario where Asiasi is only here for maybe a week or two or maybe just until <laughs> yeah. Mitchell Wilcox returns and that's what that's what they decided to do because they should be more comfortable with a guy that's been here for a couple of years now so if they were really interested in Howard, which I mean, they scheduled the meeting almost immediately as soon as he became available and everything. If they're really interested in him and they want to bring Wilcox back, then maybe Asiasi just gets shown the door when October comes around and Wilcox returns. Or if not, it's just a case where they didn't expect both of these guys to be available and they still like Wilcox. Maybe they want to keep him or stash him on the practice squad. And he's just the odd man out now because he's just the the less the lesser of these now three options. I do think they will end up going with four tight ends for the week one roster, but I, I think just these things kind of happen all at once, and they weren't. They maybe didn't expect to have Asiasi as well, but if they can get Howard and Asiasi, that's probably a definite win in their book. Yeah, it's like when you make uh, make plans with numerous people, and you, you thinking that you're, you know, to go out or something, and, th- and thinking that uh, you know, man, that one's probably not going to work out. That's just kind of whatever. And then all of a sudden, you got too many yeses. To yeah. juggle with. You got too many yeses. And that's kind of what's going on with the Cincinnati Bengals. If you want a strange parallel to throw out there, that's that's one I got for you. And then, of course, Jay Tufele, the 
defensive lineman that they got off of waivers as well. I believe he was a fourth round pick, if I'm not mistaken, from mm -hmm. uh, Jacksonville. And a guy that we you can go back and look at our, our catalog of 2021 draft profiles. We talked about him last year. But a guy I saw, I, I now granted, I didn't watch him last year. I didn't pay attention to him last year. But when I saw him and watched him at SC, I saw a guy that moved pretty well laterally. He had a couple of wow plays, but uh, wasn't a dominant force necessarily. But I think that this could be a good depth piece on the defensive line and a guy you can move around a little bit and do some different things with. Um, I guess selfishly, just based on knowing him a bit, knowing where he came from, I'm excited about this. But I think also... The fact that Jeff Hobson of Bengals.com said he thought that the Bengals were looking at defensive line help through the waiver wire and they got one and a guy that, you know, as a rotational guy could could help out. Yeah, and he's I think the youngest of these three guys. He's just 23. He was 21 when he was drafted. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't watch a ton of him at, at SC, but I did see some clips of him against Panay Sewell, kind of getting the better of him against Oregon. I think it was interesting because he was – he wasn't just like an under tackle. He was also like kind of like a four eye or a five technique. And I think that's mm -hmm. important with this whole equation too to go into the season with just four interior guys when your base package is three defensive tackles and five defensive linemen. It was a little bit on the lighter end. And I think with um, Tufeli compared to a guy like Shelvin, he provides a little bit more gap versatility. You can line him up at different spots and he's definitely a better athlete. He's, just a, he's, he's a different type of athlete, but he's more versatile with, with what he can do. So as a fourth round pick who's still developing and needs time to develop behind some really talented guys, I think this is a good spot for him. And also I thought it was interesting too when he was talking or when Zach Taylor was talking about Tufele during the draft, uh, he was like higher on their board entering the fourth round and then the Jacks took him right before the Bengals were on the clock. The Bengals take Cam Samples. Now you're in a situation where you got two guys that you know you you would have taken at that spot, and you got both of them. And that's the reality with some of these waiver claims. You know, some some players just end up on teams that you know they they were originally targeted to, and now they got the best of both worlds. What's kind of cool when you look at all of these guys that either they have claimed off of waivers or are looking at. In the case of OJ Howard, OJ Howard, former first round pick, Max Sharping, former second round pick. Um, you, you know, you look at Asiasi, former third round pick, and now Tufele. I mean, these are these are pretty high picks that were mm -hmm. that were spent uh, from other teams that the Bengals are now taking chances on. So you like to see them be aggressive, and even after this successful year that they had last year, even though there wasn't seemingly a lot of roster spots open, and you'd hate to see some players go and get think that they're on the team and then off the team and all of that. But at the same time, John, you like to think that 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 never totally satisfied type of mentality and let's let's keep tinkering let's keep trying to improve where we can i like i like the aggression it's definitely different and i know it's been four years now since marvin Lewis, but it's definitely still a noticeable difference compared to just being content with the with the people you know and always being aggressive looking at upgrades and like you mentioned you know they had to uh release or waive some guys in order to make these moves possible so they terminated the contracts of both brandon allen and the safety Michael Thomas, just because they're vested veterans, they don't have to go through the waiver wire process. And they waived Travion Williams because he's still like a fourth year player. So he has to go through waiver claims. They're expecting that Williams, I think, passes through waivers and they can bring him back on the practice squad. I'm sure they have. I think Ben Baby put it as an under the hand, under the table handshake deal that he's just mm -hmm. going to be resigned. I guess the variable here is Mike Thomas, the safety. Um, just because they kept five safeties, Anthony, on the initial roster, they they should really like what both Dax Hill and Tyson Anderson have done in the preseason to be comfortable with four safeties. But Mike Thomas is 
a, a special team savant. He's one of the older veterans in the group. I think he has some type of a role in the locker room. And this could just been a case of, you know, we like what you do, but again, we just have other spots that we need to fill. So we have both Mike Thomas's now out in the in, in free agency, and maybe one, maybe both end up coming back because Mike Thomas was also released yesterday just to make room yep. for some of these final cuts. So our, here we go. Do none of the Mike Thomas's return? Do one of the Mike Thomas's return, or do both <laughs> of the Mike Thomas's return? I, that's a good question. I don't know that I fully have the answer. I I would I would think that both return in some capacity, uh, whether, you know, I, I, I have an inkling of that just because the safety situation is, it's a little bit interesting with Brandon Wilson on the pup list, you know, um, obviously they, they got Dax Hill and they, they kept Tyson Anderson and they like, you know, what they have there overall, but you know, you maybe want a little extra depth. And then of course, Mike Thomas, the receiver has always just kind of been a Zach Taylor guy. You know, they had a connection with the Rams He's been on this team really kind of since the early days of the Zach Taylor tenure. And he's had a couple, couple decent moments on offense. Um, And then, you know, he's also one of those special teams guys. So I wouldn't be surprised to see both of them back in some capacity, but again, this is all about numbers and they kind of have done some things in numbers and position groups that have, I don't want to say fully surprised me so far, but just, they've done some different things and they keep maneuvering and keep massaging the numbers here. So it also wouldn't surprise me to see one or neither of them back as well. So I I don't really have a good answer for that. I think it's going to be both because I think five is too little or too small of a wide receiver group for their liking. I think they still love what he does as special teams. Like you said, Um, he's got a great relationship with the head coach. So I think Mike Thomas definitely returns. I think Michael Thomas also returns just because Tyson Anderson, I think is dealing with an injury right now. I don't know if it's serious enough for him to go to IR, which is why I'm a little hesitant with that. If he's okay to be active against the Steelers, then I guess Mike Thomas, Michael Thomas, the safety doesn't return, but I'm going to say hesitantly he does. And just on that subject real quick, you have guys about four or five players on the roster right now who are probably going to end up on injured reserve. It's Khalid Kareem, Cam Taylor Britt, Mitchell Wilcox, Isaiah Prince, and maybe Tyson Anderson. And you're going to see at least three or four of them go on injured reserve just to fill um, the other roster moves that they need to make. They need to uh, activate Jesse Bates off the exempt list. They need to bring back Brandon Allen because they don't have a pack of quarterback at the moment and yep. uh, make room for Mike Thomas, one of the Mike Thomases, uh, to return. So that should all happen within the next day or two as as of this recording. And that should settle the dust, as they say, for the final roster spots. But again, this is kind of a nuanced, got to go through some weird steps, jump through some weird hoops in order to kind of finalize things, get guys on the IR list. Obviously, uh, some of those guys sh- should be IR return, uh, short-term IR, IR type of candidates there. So, and hopefully that that's the case for a guy like Cam Taylor Britt there. Um, but, uh, you know, a, a lot of those guys should be short-term IR candidates there. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey. 
instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And then, of course, here are the 13 that they have signed so far to the practice squad. And we say this every year. There's Cal Adamitis, Jake Browning, Drew Chrisman, Devin Cochran, the offensive lineman, Dominique Davis, interior defensive lineman, Nate Gilliam, one of the more recent pickups on the offensive line. They brought him in. Irwin hanging on to the practice squad. Raymond Johnson, who showed some nice things in the preseason. Uh, He is on the practice squad, as is Keandre Jones, a linebacker. Kwame Lasseter made it on there. Thad Moss on the practice squad. There he is, linebacker to Grace Scales and defensive tackle Tyler Shelvin, all on the practice squad so far. And, John, I sit here and I scream from the mountaintops, we all think that there's no way that this guy's going to make it to the practice squad. And you look at the list, and I'm mostly right because there is one glaring omission. Yeah. And we mentioned his name earlier, and he stood out in the preseason, and he was grabbed by the Jacksonville Jaguars and Zach Taylor's brother. Press Taylor was undoubtedly one of the guys behind that. Kendrick Pryor, not on the Bengals roster, not on the practice squad. He has been picked up off of waivers. And I'm excited for him, man. Um, you, you got Kirk down there. You got Marvin Jones. I think uh, they just traded away LaVisca Chenault. So there's an opening, I guess, for someone to kind of fill that void as a starter. I don't think he's going to be starting for the Jags, but they're the Jags. They need as many players as possible. So the Jags were first in the waiver wire order, and he was claimed by them. I would like to see how many other teams ended up making a claim for him. But yeah, there's always, there's sometimes one guy that kind of, doesn't quite slip through the cracks. And when you're, when you put as much good tape as prior did, um, sometimes that is an inevitability. I kind of, I kind of thought that he was going to go untouched or unclaimed in in waivers just because there's just a plethora of receivers that always kind of pop off. And that market is very saturated, especially even on the, on the waiver wire, but great for him to actually get a shot. And I I guess it didn't come until like uh, he didn't learn about it until noon today. So he was about to sign a contract to rejoin the Bengals on the practice squad. And then someone came down to the locker room and said, Nope, you got claimed by Jacksonville. And he was looking for a flight to get down there as soon as possible. So great for him. Great story. I hope that he does well with Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. And I think to your point a little bit, uh, and I may be grasping at straws a little bit and saying this, but you know, I, I think part of the reason, at least in recent years or this year, maybe specifically that some of these guys are getting claimed off of waivers and getting harder looks is because fewer and fewer teams are playing their starters. Fewer and fewer teams are playing yeah. heavy rotational players and giving some of these guys a little bit lower on the depth chart, a good chance to shine and and hopefully get a, get a shot somewhere. So good for Kendrick Pryor. I, you know, I think we all wish he was with the Bengals, but good for him to get a shot with Jacksonville and on their roster there claimed by them. So John, I, I, I guess the last thing we, we kind of want to talk about before we transition here, 
I, you know, any thoughts on Cordell Volson? Because this is this is now where, uh, you know, aside from the roster, and obviously we talked sharping, so we touched on Volson a little bit, but he has now been proclaimed the starter by Zach Taylor. He, unless something weird happens, will be the starter against the Pittsburgh Steelers at left guard alongside Jonah Williams, alongside Ted Karras, alongside, you know, the whole crew, Kappa, Colin. So now, I mean, your thoughts on this, I I think he earned it based on who he was competing against and what was shown there, but your comfort level with him um, and can he just kind of at a minimum kind of just keep things afloat with that position and, and have the other guys kind of anchor things and hopefully massively improve off of what we saw last year from the offensive line. Yeah. I think when you just look at it from a game by game perspective, there's definitely going to be moments where he's in there and he lets the guy blow by him, or maybe he is a little bit late out of his stance. There's going to be some ugly plays. He's, he's a rookie playing against in his first game, the Pittsburgh Steelers who are just always just great and well coached at defensive line. It's there's going to be some rough moments. And I think, that's fine. That that should be expected over the course of the season. I think when you just look at it from a macro view, I think at that point, you're going to see things kind of level out. The highs is not going to be that high, but the lows are not going to be that low. Again, there's always going to be those moments where he looks like a rookie, and that's perfectly natural. It happens to even the best rookies, the rookies that are drafted in the first 15, 16 picks. But you know, th- th- this is the real time now. He's going up against starters for the first time in his career. It's not in a practice situation against the Rams. It's week one of the NFL season, and he's got the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, you know, it, it might be rough here and there, but I do think that over time, over the course of a long season, it's going to be okay. It's not going to be sticking out like a sore thumb multiple times a game. He's not going to be this crazy liability. I think he's shown enough where by the time the season really gets rolling, he'll be well acclimated and he'll be okay to just be that fifth guy. And that's what they've been waiting for for so long. Just their worst guy just being, just be there. Just, just do be consistent, do the right things. Just don't do too much, don't, don't yeah. do too little, you know, like I think they're finally there, but we got to see it to believe it. Don't implode drives. Don't implode quarters. Don't implode games. Don't, be a penalty machine. I mean, that's that's the kind of stuff they need to avoid. And, of course, keeping jo- Joe Burrow upright and healthy and paving the way for Joe Mixon, all that stuff, is definitely what is hoped for and expected with that. But, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I think that the, the lows just won't be as low. And, I mean, I think that that's just kind of the, the, the best way to put it, really. And when, when you look at – what he what he shown what he showed in the preseason is an ability to recover, like you said, from a bad initial step or a bad initial part of a snap. He show he has shown uh, the ability to kind of recover and just kind of hang in there and not let an initial bad step or an initial bad moment of a snap um, kind of implode the whole play. Right. I mean, that's that's and that's kind of what they need because they have <laughs> they haven't had that um, from a variety of players that they have tried at those spots. Right. And just being a rookie, like you're going to see things that you just haven't seen before in your career, especially coming from a smaller school where you're facing D2 opponents. You're going to see advanced pass rushing moves that maybe not even the Bengals defensive linemen have practiced have done against him in practice. So there's going to be moments where he's caught off guard and it's how quickly you respond from play to play, but also just 
as an offensive lineman, you need to be able to recover. You need to be able to absorb power, just stick your feet in the ground and just not get blown off the line like some of the other Bengals offensive linemen have done in recent years. But he, I think he's got the tools and, and they see that. And they're they're very clear about what the situation is between him and Jackson Carmen. Taylor, Zach Taylor was very blunt when describing what Carmen is at this point. He's a backup. You know, he still has a future in the NFL in some capacity, but right now he's just not ready to start. And Cordo Volson is, and kudos to him for just kind of running with it. Again, Jackson Carmen, just 22 years old, Cordell Volson, 24 years old. I understand the knee jerk reaction nature to be like, we, you know, get rid of Carmen. Yeah. yeah. There's still time for development there. And with the age, with the draft capital they used on him, they're going to, they're going to commit to that, but they're not going to just award him a job that he did not earn. And that's, that's kind of indicative of what we're seeing here. So all of that kind of puts a nice bow on what we've witnessed over the past couple of days with the final roster, the waiver wire claims, the practice squad additions, everything with the Cincinnati Bengals. Again, some more tweaks probably to be made later in the week in terms of IR, bringing some guys back and then really kind of having a finalized roster at that point. But from, from, for now, we have a pretty good idea as to who will be playing, who will be on the final roster, and who will be on the practice squad going forward. We've got a little bit of a fun one coming up here, kind of a, a talk about just how far the Bengals have come with this roster in a short period of time. But before we get to that, just want to remind everybody to keep it to CincyJungle.com for all your news, opinions, analysis, podcasts, etc. There is a Cincy Jungle podcast channel that you can subscribe to on your favorite audio streamer, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. We're on all those where you can get this show. You can get Talking Football with Bengal Jim and Friends. They had a couple of fun guests last night with uh, All Bengals and Locked On Bengals host James Rapine, as well as former Bengals puncher, Swiss Army Knife guy, Pat McAnally. Cool show there. And then, of course, all the great stuff and breakdowns that Coach Matt Minnick brings you on Coach Speak and Chalk Talk, all on the podcast channel if you like the audio side. And then, of course, if you like the videos and you like to either join us live or watch after the fact, you got to like the Cincy Jungle Facebook page. And down beneath John on his side there and beneath that SB Nation Cincy Jungle logo, there is an orange and black insider icon. You can click that to subscribe. And then, of course, the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available. And we're bringing a lot of stuff between our show and the other shows we mentioned. We're bringing you stuff nearly every day of the week. So hopefully you are enjoying it. All right. Well, to talk about just how far we think this roster has come, we get to give you a pretty little soundbite visual graphic here that we don't get to use all that time because it's state your case time. All right, John. Well, there are a couple of questions that we can talk about to state your case, but I guess we can start with how far do you think and how much improvement do you think this roster has made from last year? And you can point to either week one or the Super Bowl to now with things kind of being finalized with what we think we know about this roster. Really? Major attrition would be C.J. Uzama, Larry Ogunjobi, right? Um, I, there's maybe a couple of others you could point to there. But major additions, Lael Collins, 
Alex Kappa, Ted Karras, the draft picks. Um, so, you know, uh, they still have Jesse Bates. They have all the young offensive stars under contract for right now. And uh, I mean, that's kind of where they're at. So would you say that they are marginally improved, not, not really improved at all, or markedly improved from the team that just made the Super Bowl? I think if I were to look at this team right now, August 31st, 2022 to August 31st of last year, it's it's got to be leaps and bounds improvement, but it's not just because of the new players that they brought in. It's what we know now about the players who were here last year and then just developed and improved or just took everyone by surprise. That combined with the players that they added and the depth that they've secured, that they're, you just feel so much more comfortable about this iteration of the team compared to last year. Most people expected the Bengals to maybe maybe win 10 games last year as like the high point, right? Most people had him around seven or eight wins. They had confidence in Joe Burrow. They had confidence in Higgins and boy, they didn't really know what chase was going to be after, especially after that preseason, they were on pins and needles about the offensive line. They didn't quite know if Trey Hendrickson was going to translate into this defense. They didn't know if Logan Wilson, and Jermaine Pratt were going to take those next steps. They didn't know if Chidabe Wuzier was going to be a better cornerback than he was in Dallas. And all of those things hit aside from the offensive line that kind of fell apart towards the end, but that was obviously the, the thing that was improved the most, the position group that was improved the most in the offseason. And you just look at the roster as a whole. Someone said in the comment section, there's no weak point on this roster aside from a few depth positions at offensive line. You look at it from last year. They didn't really have a trustworthy or a third pass rusher that they can count on. Now you have Joseph Asai back fully healthy. Cam Sample looks to have taken a jump. Jeff Gunter is now in the, is now in the equation. You have defensive line depth at defensive tackle now with Tufele, Carter, and Tupo behind two good starters. You have confidence in your linebackers. You have confidence in Eli Apple because last year he was starting and no one really knew if that was good news or not. Now he looks to be a solid player. Jesse Bates is back at safety and you have a really good first round pick at safety playing behind him and Von Bell. You have great receivers. Joe Mixon's obviously great and Burrow's obviously great. Like compared to the start of last season, man, this team is one of the very best in the NFL. It's just a solid overall balanced great roster and i think it has to be noticed as that agreed next question no uh <laughs> I, look I, steve hall and i pinned the i pinned the comment here no weak position groups i mean that that's that's really where we're at with this thing and i don't want to beat a dead horse and repeat a lot of the things that you just you just said there because you were spot on there are two there are two things that kind of come to mind when i think of this roster number one I go back a little bit to the mid-teens, the the 2012 through 2015 run, uh, 2011 through 2015 run, really, but I'm talking about the 2012, 2013, not so much the 2014 team, although Jeremy Hill had some nice moments at that point, but really 2012, 2013, 2015, and you look at how stacked those rosters were and why those teams were making the playoffs – uh, they were they were a strong roster and they were as strong as really any in the NFL at those points. You just had, I mean, you had a, a, some very good games out of your quarterback. You just had some questions with Andy Dalton. I think that was the reality of it. He was he was good more often than he wasn't, but there were just some questions with that. But now you have a very similar scenario, John, wherein they're they fixed their big weakness, presumably with what they did in the offense on the offensive line this year. And then 
They just keep working and adding and tweaking and doing different things to their position groups. You have a number of young stars on offense that are either in their prime or even before their prime, which is scary based on some of the things we saw last year. So, you know, you're thinking the sky's the limit really based on the strength overall that you see on this roster. So there's an interesting parallel, really just maybe even more confidence in the quarterback than there was with those great rosters under Marvin Lewis in those years. So that's, that's what I see there. But then the question then becomes, you know, how do you feel about this roster in comparison to what the rest of the league has done, what we have seen some of these teams do? And I'm talking largely about the AFC West. I'm talking largely about a team like the Miami Dolphins on the Bengals schedule, by the way, and uh, some of these other teams really in the division and otherwise that, uh, you know, maybe maybe coming for them so that's that's really where you got to weigh this out now when you look at where the Bengals, kind of a second part to this question where the Bengals were at maybe uh post draft and where they are after these moves that they have made and tinkered their roster made the waiver wire claims got you know cut some of these players that were or were not cutting the mustard in in the preseason are they treading water are they marginally better or markedly better than they were just a few months ago right after the draft? I would say they're just marginally marginally better. I don't think they messed up really any of these cuts. Um, there was a couple surprise decisions, but nothing that I, I think makes them worse than what they could have been. And I, I like how you brought up just the overall the state of the AFC and how every other team aside from the Bengals like just pushed all of their assets into the middle of the table and just went all in for the from the Bengals perspective or, or at least to their standards they kind of did or they ha- have kind of been going all in just yeah um like in their standards like because they can't just you know throw up hundreds of millions of dollars in cash and whatever but you know c- claiming three guys on the waiver wire trading up in the second round of the draft and spending on positions that you don't normally spend in for agency like that's new territory to them and to them that is kind of going all in and, and keeping up with what everyone else is doing to keep up with them so just looking at what where it was 90 players in may to now 54 in august yeah i think they've made the right decisions and just i think the depth is the most glaring takeaway here because the starting lineup is barely changed from last year but if you want to talk about that super bowl team and how attrition was finally getting to them and the offensive line was falling apart there's still some questions about whether those guys can actually step up if that situation were to happen again but all throughout the rest of the roster i think you're confident in the depth of this team in the case that injuries actually or inevitably do happen. And just from one to 53, like this roster is pretty solid and there's no Christian Covington's there's no, I don't know, like random linebackers that they've been rolling out there in case of injuries. Like they have guys that they can rely on in, in a pinch. And that is the sign of a team that is meant to go to the distance. Christian Covington is a, is a decent player, but, what you're what you're saying there who's the first I thought of you know well, I, well, well, I know yeah. what you're saying and I, yeah. I don't want to put words in your mouth but I know what you're saying you're saying Christian Covington as a starter as a heavy yeah. rotational yeah. player Christian Covington as the occasional rotational player as a depth piece is fine and that tells you what how far this team has come in a very short period of time I would agree with you in terms of from 
you know, we're talking May till now, I would say marginally better. And there's some, a couple of guys, you know, they lost white Hubert to retirement. They lost You know, some guys are hurt, especially at the tight end position, but they are not sitting back idly and saying, Oh, you know, we'll just wait till those guys come back. We'll just kind of cycle through the practice squad call up and that sort of thing. They're being aggressive. They're being aggressive. They've been aggressive in free agency. They've been aggressive in the draft and moving it. They moved up in the second round to get Cam Taylor Brett. They, they're they're moving it. They're doing different things, and they are they are not satisfied. They seemingly are not satisfied with the status quo. Or you know, years past, I, I if the Bengals had made the Super Bowl under Marvin Lewis or or otherwise, they would have trotted out the same exact roster and really done very little in free agency. To, to, to do that. They would have been very satisfied with that. that. I don't mean that as an indictment on Marvin or Mike Brown or anything like that. That just was the approach then. And it was a lot of, we're bringing back the same guys. We're running it back. We're running it back. We're running it back. They just went to the Super Bowl and they grabbed three new starters on the offensive line and, you know, had another starter potentially if their star safety wasn't coming in. They, they, they were aggressive. And so that's where I think – we can all sit here and say, you know, maybe marginally better from just a few months ago, markedly better from uh, even a year ago or earlier this year in the Super Bowl. And that's why this is exciting. But that caveat that you and I both talked about, about what's going on in the AFC, you know, you've got a healthy Baltimore Ravens team now. I think that's going to be a challenge for the for the Bengals. Obviously, a lot of the teams in the AFC West will be challenging. They don't play the AFC West per se. They play the Chiefs, obviously, but AFC West was last year, um, you know, AFC East this year, that'll be challenging. You got Buffalo, a revamped Miami team, who knows what new England's going to be. So, I mean, there, there's some challenges there, but uh, you know, they did their part. They did their part. Yeah. And I, I think just with how the AFC kind of loaded up and specifically the AFC West, I think there's a realization or there should be a realization that, getting back to the playoffs is already hard enough getting a wild card spot this year in this stack of a conference is only going to be tougher. So that leads to them thinking that the AFC North runs through us. So we might as well just go ahead and win it again and not worry about three or four AFC West teams, you know, populating the playoffs right. and, and everything. So I think that that's still uh, the spark that kind of led them to not be complacent. And like you said, you don't know if that would have happened under the previous regime. It clearly is a, a mindset with Zach Taylor and company now, it, if you don't keep up, especially in this day and age, like you're just going to get left behind. And they're riding a wave of momentum, and they have the luxury of not uh, paying their quarterback fifty million dollars a year yet. So, you know, they, they they definitely did the right things. And to their credit, you know, some of their more traditional philosophies have paid off as well. I think when you look back at the draft, and I know they weren't really in a position to draft an offensive lineman with how the first round played out, but you know, people are a lot of people are looking at cornerback too. Like Kyler Gordon was a name that was brought up at the end of the first round, and then they took a quote unquote surprise approach and took Dax Hill, who was by far the be- the best player available as more of a long term approach because they knew they had you know questions at safety long term, and they were confident that they were, they were still going to give him a role at, at the beginning. But imagine if they didn't take Dax Hill and he was thriving someplace else, and you have the question of Jesse Bates. So even that type of best player available, you know, stick to the board, not really worried about going aggressive and taking the position that means the most this year. It's still paid off for them for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's our take and us stating our case as to where the roster is at this moment in time and how, just how much it has improved in really a short period of time. 
Let's close up. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about this next week, and we're going to get yeah. in depth and, and and a lot of analysis and everything, and likely with special guests joining us. However, let's take a brief, quick look at the Steelers based on some of the injury stuff that they have going on, based on where their roster is, and now that we are pretty certain that Mitchell Trubisky will be the guy who, by the way, Kenny Pickett, as of earlier today, I looked at their depth chart. Kenny Pickett is third on their depth chart. Mason Rudolph second. I don't know if that's been properly updated as of this point or not, but as of now, Mitchell Trubisky looks like the guy the Bengals will be facing in week one, which is predictable. Um, and I, I kind of said the Bengals really, I think they're getting the Steelers at an opt- uh, the most opportune time as as possible. Quarterback situation, uh, you know, been unsettled for the past few months for the most part. I think a lot of people thought Trubisky would win it, but you know, you've got you know a new guy coming in. It's not it's not Ben Roethlisberger who settled and all that kind of stuff. Despite what we saw from him the past year or two, you, you've kind of got a guy that's new there. A Steelers team that is maybe against the ropes a little bit based on just where they're team is at at this point in time just a lot of unsettled things and the Steelers always seem to play better football down the stretch in general so I think this is an opportune time but I don't know if you have thoughts on that and of course Mitchell Trubisky seeming like the quarterback the Bengals will be facing in week one yeah so there's been one common headline coming out of Steelers camp and it's that they haven't really got a great look at uh, Kenny Pickett just because the offensive line has been terrible but you go turn on the preseason tape and all three quarterbacks kind of played pretty well. Now, granted, it's preseason. It's very vanilla. Um, you're going up against backups for the most part. But Pickett looked okay. And I, I think there, there wasn't much more that he could do in the preseason and not still earn the starting job in week one. So maybe it's just like a Pittsburgh thing and they were just being conservative and they want to give Tabisky a chance just because they paid him this offseason and they want to give Pickett more time to develop or they don't want to put him behind an offensive line that they're not tremendously confident in i think yeah. traded for jesse davis as like maybe a stopgap option at one of those spots or maybe just an emergency backup but yeah like you said trubisky's not terribly surprising and i think it like trubisky can definitely get hot on like a certain random week now the Bengals defense is pretty good and the Bengals defense is really good against this team last year but you know the current iteration of Trubisky is much better than last year's version of Ben Roethlisberger. So the Bengals should think that this Pittsburgh Steelers team, despite the bad offensive line and despite some other questions, they're still going to be really tough. And they're going to be probably a better team than they were last year, just because their quarterback gives them a chance. Now from a 17 game perspective, Mitchell Trubisky is still like a bottom 10 quarterback, most likely, especially behind that offensive line. But first week, the Bengals pass rush has kind of an off day. You know, Trubisky can do some things. So it's not terribly surprising, but it's definitely not a complete walkover from a one week sample size, I guess. Yeah. Taylor's what three and three against Pittsburgh, right. As a, mm-hmm. as the Bengals head coach, he got swept in his initial year. And then uh, the old Ryan Finley game in, in 2020 when Joe Burrow was out of the lineup and then of course swept them last year. So an interesting momentum swing and a big change of events in this rivalry here. So, yeah, I mean, I, Trubisky's not a guy necessarily that scares me, but he's a guy who can move. You know, I mean, if, if the Bengals are somehow undisciplined on defense, he can move a little bit. Um, I'm really, I, I think the Steelers are going to try and do what they always try and do, and that is get under a team skin, try, and, and they know they've done it to the Bengals in the past, not necessarily Zach Taylor's Bengals, but other Bengals teams. You're going to see George Pickens 
try and absolutely shove a cornerback. That's gonna <laughs> that's gonna one hundred percent happen. You're gonna see a lot of extracurriculars, but um, if the Bengals stick to what they did last year, and if they are markedly improved on the on the roster as we think they are, um, this this should be a, a game that uh, you should be walking away after Week One feeling pretty good about things. If you're the Bengals, I would think as we sit here right now, I know it's the Steelers. I'm always kind of hesitant to be like, oh, they'll beat the Steelers. But it just seems like a game that the Bengals should win it for a number of different reasons. number of different reasons, especially for the fact that it's home. You're going to have every seat in that stadium filled, not just because Steelers fans, quote unquote, travel, but that, I mean, that stadium is going to be ripe to be packed just for people just wanting to get back in the stadium. Uh, it's going to be one of their first sellout um, home openers in maybe forever. So, yeah, very excited. I can't believe this is the first time they opened up a season against the Steelers. It's weird. It seems like that, that would have happened before. But like you said, you have no idea what they're going to be at quarterback because this is Trubisky's first start. So might as well just get, get started with them out of the gate. You've got just a, a little bit of a rundown. TJ Watt, knee injury, seemed minor. Deontay Johnson uh, had an injury. It was minor. Uh, you have DeMonte Kazee a backup safety that they were, I think we're going to use quite a bit in defensive back packages, defensive back, heavy packages, a guy who's kind of a little bit of a ball hawk and early in his career had some nice moments with the Falcons. He is going to be out for a period of time, I believe. And then John, there's a weird situation with Najee Harris where he, they had said early in camp that he got his foot stepped on. And then he went forward after playing in the finale and corrected the Steelers organization and said, no, no, no. I had a Liz Frank injury in my foot. That is far more severe yeah. or I guess could be more severe than getting your foot merely stepped on. Not that that either is fun, but uh, that is something definitely to keep eyes on because, you know, obviously he had limited touches and did some things and he said he felt good getting the rust out. But, you know, if they're going to be thinking he's going to get the amount, the volume of touches that he got as a rookie, especially that he got against the Bengals, um, you know, coming off a loose Frank injury, that could be something that's a little concerning if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers. And we'll definitely learn more about that when we get the injury report. It would be kind of funny though, if he kind of, if Ben passed the torch to Najee as, oh, he's got an injury ahead of the Bengals game and no, oh, we don't of know course, the play. Of course. Yeah. And then he's yeah. out there hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. The old Ben Roethlisberger move. Oh man. It will be very weird to see the Pittsburgh oh, Steelers play bizarre. the Bengals without Ben Roethlisberger out there and not, not even Ben Roethlisberger hurt. Cause we've seen Ben exit games from the Bengals, you know, Bengals games and whatnot, but just not there. It's weird. It's going to, it's going to be very, very odd. Um, so at any rate, the Bengals take on the Steelers. We'll have a lot more to get to next week in terms of breakdowns, matchups to watch and all kinds of different things. So we will get that to you. Let's drop the mic and get out of here. John, what do you have for us? Uh, nothing too much. You know, we got a week left until the NFL, but for the most part, college football's back, baby. Um, go Bearcats. They're down Fayetteville this week against the, the hogs of Arkansas. I believe USC's got, got rice on the docket as well, but I'll be mm -hmm. up in Columbus to at least be around the Ohio State Notre Dame game. Um, I'm not going to say who I'm rooting for. Go Irish, because I don't really like to publicly do that with that team. But you know, I'll be going up with some some family members who are OSU alums. I'll be wearing some red. We're wearing some black. I won't won't have an OSU logo on it, but 
should be should be a good time. You got any weekend plans, man? Weekend plans, not particularly. Um, you know, obviously the extended weekend. I, I might do something more uh, Saturday. I mean, sorry, Sunday and Monday. Uh, might watch the the SC game, the second half of it, um, depending on things. But um, yeah, I, I probably gotta do be a little bit of an adult on Saturday, unfortunately, and then Sunday maybe have some fun and, and do some different things. Nothing, nothing too special. Maybe I'll burn my face over a grill or something. I don't know. Uh, we'll we'll see. Um, I don't know. If, I don't know if I'm going to do that or not, but um, we'll see. We'll see. How about you? I mean, yes, the last weekend with, without the NFL, without the Bengals. So. Well, you, you said you were going to Columbus, so yeah. yeah. Um, we, we got like an Airbnb in Columbus. No one wants to go to the game and pay, what, like $500 to sit in that stadium. Ooh. But um, yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Well, have a good time. I, I don't have um, too much other than, you know, I, I've been asked uh, both on the, on the show in the live chats and um, elsewhere if I'm coming out to certain games, if I'm going to come out to week one. Week one, uh, I was hoping to, but we'll see what happens. It's still, it still may, may be in the works. I got to look at some things and crunch some numbers. But now I've got my oldest son is in a number of different sports and stuff that are <clears throat> taking place on Friday nights and or he's playing Friday Night Light flag football, John. We're getting him, <laughs> we're getting him going Friday, Friday Night Lights flag football for the oldest. I know. Uh, and then, you know, some soccer on Saturday. But and I don't like to miss that stuff. But aside from that, um, just man, a lot of stuff with life is just kind of caught up and it's like, man, I haven't planned this thing, but I am planning to get out to Cincinnati sometime soon. And, and if, and when I do, I'd like to make it a little longer trip to, you know, potentially hang out with a lot of people, do some things, maybe something with the show or something like that. That'd be cool. But we, I will, and we will announce something if, and when that is in the works. I've been, I've been asked about that. I know we've been asked about some stuff on the show. So um, nothing in the plans yet. I, I'm such a procrastinator. I guess that's just how I how I roll. But uh, it does us no favors on the show and for for watches and all kinds of stuff. But that's how I roll. But um, we we will be sure to let everybody know. And I'm excited. I think I think this is going to be a really fun year yet again. Maybe maybe not as fun because it's maybe a bit more expected um, than it was last year. But uh, I think I think we're in store for a fun year, man. Winning is fun, man. No matter if it's if it's no. expected or not. So, absolutely, I gotta get out well, of my brain's fried. I <laughs> know uh, you're right. It, it was it was a very poignant point you just made there at the end of the show. I like it. I like it. Uh, all right. Well, take care, everybody. Have a good rest of your week. We'll be bringing you all kinds of different stuff on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel as well as on CincyJungle.com. Have fun. Be safe this weekend, and we will be back, as I said, with a number of different things to help quench your bangles content thirst uh john have a good weekend my friend you as well